Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask you to bless this time as we open your word and, and look at the story of Samson's birth and just guide and lead us in all that we will study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges chapter 13, <coughs> starting at verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zohrah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and bare not, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray you, and drink not wine nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto the God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. All right, so we're going to look at this. Starts out, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. Then <laughs> uh, the theme of this book, they keep doing evil, and God puts them in judgment. A little longer each time, if we kind of brought that out, that's, you know, goes, we're now up to 40 years of, of judgment before he brings a judge. And he puts them into the hands of the Philistines. And the Philistines are people that are in the southwestern part of Israel, between Israel and, and uh, Egypt. They're right on the coast in there. And where the Philistines are going to be a problem for many, many years. They never got rid of them from their coast. Uh, we're going to see that David's going to end up dealing with them. Uh, Saul's going to end up dealing with them. Uh, it's going to be a problem for many, many people. But God puts the children of Israel under judgment for 40 years. A uh, long time. It, uh, and yet they don't seem to repent on this. On this. And then it says in verse 2, And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. It's kind of amazing to me that she's the most faithful in this group, in this family, and she's not named. Any, anywhere in this story of Samson, his, his mom's not named. She's just the woman who couldn't have a child and then was told she was going to have a child. Uh, we're told of Manoah, but not, not her name. And I just find it strange because he's, we're going to see how he's very wishy-washy. And even through the whole story of, of Noah, he never takes a stand for God, of Noah, of, of Samson. Uh, Manoah never takes a stand for, for God in, re, in a real strong stand. And he's the one that's named where we're going to see uh, Samson's mother's faith and acceptance of all that been, is going to be told. And... Uh, so she says, you know, she's barren, and she couldn't bear a child. And it doesn't tell us how old she was, but obviously she's been without child long enough for it to become a big deal. And this is something that is true all through scriptures for the Jewish women. They all wanted to have children. Uh, many times they wanted to have children for the, for the biggest sake is that they were hoping to have the male child that was going to be the deliverer, the Messiah. So that was a great honor to have a male child, and every woman that had a child would hope, is, is, this, is this him? Is, it, is this, the, is this the, the seed of the woman that's going to deliver man? Is this the seed that's going to be the fulfillment? 
because they didn't tie all the other verses that, well, at this time they don't even, aren't even there, but they're not, they never did tie all the verses that he had to be born in Bethlehem and, and, and born of a virgin and all these other things. But the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, you are barren and you bear not, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And it's kind of interesting to me, this, this is saying that she was barren and she bare not. I'm wondering if this is an indication that she may have conceived children but couldn't deliver them, had miscarriages, because usually they just say the woman was barren. But this one is very careful to say she bear not, as well as being barren. So I'm having a feeling that this woman had had miscarriages, uh, because this whole statement is you're going to conceive and you are going to bear. Now this is speculation, but it's just something that stands out to me, because it's different from most of the times when the women were said. They, they were barren. It sticks out at me because it's, it's unusual. Uh, Sarah was always said she was barren. Um, other people, Elizabeth was said she was barren. They never brought this whole idea of and could and bear not. So just throwing that out there from what I think I see on this, this uh, statement. And it says, therefore, beware, I pray you. So he's given her a warning. And this is a very strong warning. And he says, drink not wine, nor drink strong drink, nor any, or eat any th- unclean thing. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For he shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. I don't know if any of you remember what a Nazarite is. So we're going to go back to Numbers chapter 6, and we're going to look at what a Nazarite is. When we were doing numbers in chapter 6 and we were talking about the Nazarite vow, we told you be careful to not mix it up with being a Nazarene, which is a person from Nazareth. Uh, We're going to start in verse 1. Jesus was called a Nazarene because he was from Nazareth, but he was never a Nazarite. Though you could say Nazarite, talking about Nazareth as well, a Nazarite vow is a particular separation to God. And it's Samson is going to be a Nazarite from birth. And we're going to see as we go through his life, he breaks every single vow of the Nazarite. Uh, and yet God blesses him. So in ver- Numbers chapter 6, the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves for a vow of the Nazarite to separate themselves to the Lord. So the purpose is to separate themselves, to be holy, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink from, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes, nor dried grapes. All the days of his separateness shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of his vow of separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair, hair of his head grow. All the days of his separation himself unto the Lord, 
He shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or for his sister when they die because of the consecration of the God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. If any man die suddenly by him, he shall do, he, he hath defiled the, his, the head of his consecration. Then he shall shave his head the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The priest shall offer one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, for that he has sinned by the dead, and he shall hallow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto him the Lord the days of his separation, and shall bring a lamb of the first year of the trespass offering, but the days that were before shall be lost because of his separation was defiled. And this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall offer his offerings unto the Lord, one he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, and one ram without blemish for a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram of a sacrifice for a peace offering unto the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. And the priest shall offer shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave his head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall take the hair of his head for, of, of the separation and put it in a fire upon what, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and the one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and put, shall put it upon the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven, and the priest shall wave the wave offering before the Lord. This is a holy this is holy for the priest, with the waved breast of the heaved shoulder, and after the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who vows and he offered to the Lord his separation, besides that which uh, hand shall get, according to the vow which he vowed, so he must do after the law of separation. So the Nazarite vow is a vow that somebody would take if they just want to live separated to God and devoted to God for a period of time. And this period of time was up to them. They would decide how long it would be, and at the end of that period, they would prepare these three offerings that were talked about and the and the basket of unleavened bread and all these things and they would go in and they would make the offering and they would shave their head and in in this vow and this vow would end with a peace offering and remember the peace offering kind of was described as one of the pastors I listened to when we were talking about that a a picnic with God <laughs> all right that was one where half of the of the inner parts basically of the animal went on the fire to God half the animal went to the priest and half the animal went back to the person who had made the vow. And on a free will vow, they would have two days to eat the, eat the entire animal. So basically, you had a party with your, with your family and friends because you, whatever wasn't eaten in the end of those two days had to, be, had to be burnt. And if it wasn't a free will, it had to be eaten in one day, which meant you had a big party to, to, to feed everybody. But this vow is something very special because they're separating themselves to God. And the very first thing they were to do is not cut their hair. They were not to drink any strong alcohol. They were not to drink anything or eat anything from the vine. 
no grapes, no, no grape leaves, nothing off the, off the vineyard. And this was just the separation. And it said there that you weren't allowed to touch anything dead. All right? And this included if your parents or your fam, your mother, your, your wife, your parents, your kids, anybody close to you died when you were as separated as a Nazarite, you could not take care of their body. This was a serious thing. When you said, I'm going to be a Nazarite for this many months, this many weeks, uh, this many years, whatever the period was, it was a serious time and it was going to have a major offering at the end of it. And it said that if you accidentally had somebody die next to you, and I don't know how many people accidentally have people die next to them, but the Old Testament talks about it a lot. <laughs> somebody just drops dead next to you and, and touches you on the way down to the down. Um, just well, dies very suddenly by him. Yeah, I think it indicated, if I remember, that it was that you'd been touched as he fell. But definitely, you're there next to the next to the death. Either way. Um, but in this case, you were unclean, and you had to offer special sacrifices beyond your normal unclean sacrifices. Okay, if you were unclean, there was a sacrifice at the end of the day. You were unclean until from the time you were made unclean till the evening. You made your sacrifices and you were okay beyond that. And, and bodies had a little longer. But for the Nazarite, there would be the extra offering for his Nazarite vow has been ended. And then he'd have to start all over again for the rest of that period of time that they were, but they had to shave their head, offer this sacrifice, and then they would start all over for the rest of their period and end it with this, this big sacrifice. Pretty big deal. And basically God, and remember when we talked about this, we said that when we separate yourself to God, God expects you to keep that separation. And for us as Christians, he expects us to stay separate from the world because we are holy and sanctified. And but the biggest part about this, and we're gonna look at this because this is very big for, as we study Samson, not to drink alcohol, a strong drink, not to drink any wine, not to eat any grapes, not to touch any dead thing, and not to let his hair be shaved. Okay? And we're going to see that Samson violates every one of these in his lifetime. Oh, yes. He had a problem with drinking. He had a problem with wine. He had a problem with an uh, dead animals and dead things, as we're going to see in many cases. Uh, the only... He did not choose to. He was a Nazarite. God said he was going to be a Nazarite from birth. Uh, many people believe that John the Baptist was a Nazarite because of the food, his, his food and, and various things that he did. But there's no place where he was ever said to be other than people have believed that he was because of his, his um, food. Uh, but so here we are. This is a particular thing. She is told that she is to start being a Nazarite for all practical purposes. Okay, she's not taking the vow, but she is told don't drink any strong drink, don't drink any wine, don't eat any unclean thing. And that unclean thing comes from Leviticus, that whole long list of things that the Jews weren't allowed to eat, and most Jews didn't eat the unclean things. Uh, and some of my favorite things are on the unclean list, like crabs and shrimp and, and catfish. You know, uh, all of my favorite foods are lobster, are all on that list that you can't eat, uh, they're unclean. Uh, 
Yes, yes they're not very healthy, yes. And I can't, I can't eat them anyway because of my gout. So, all right. But here we are. Samson was to be set aside wholly for God from birth. And we're going to see that his parents did do a good job on that. Samson himself is going to do a terrible job on, on fulfilling it. Verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me and said, And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not when he, where he came from, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, you, are, you shall conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, let the man of God which you, you did send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. All right, we're going to stop there. She goes to her husband and she goes, here's the good news. Here's my testimony. We're, we're going to have a child. Uh, and she goes, and this really basically saying, uh, this really good looking guy, an angel of the Lord, he had a countenance like the angel, uh, told me this. I think she was so happy she wouldn't even think about anything else because she says, I didn't ask him his name. I didn't ask where he came from. I don't know what prophet he was. I don't know anything about this man. But this man came and said, I was going to have a child. And usually you would know that you would know the prophets and everything. And this is somebody she's saying, I just don't know who this was. He looked like an angel, had a terrible, you know, bright, shiny appearance. You know, he looked, he looked incredible as far as his appearance. And he said he's going to, that I was to conceive and I was not to drink wine or strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite from the day of his birth, uh, from, from the womb, excuse me. And so she has this great confidence. I've been told I'm going to have a child, I'm going to have a child. And I've been told that he's going to be raised as a Nazarite. And... Manoah asked God to send the man again so that he could come and teach them what they should do with the child. I think by my looking at this, they've been told what they're supposed to do with the child. They're going to raise him like a Nazarite. Uh, uh, so I don't see what his problem is, other than the fact that he doesn't seem to trust his wife. He has no faith and doesn't seem to believe her testimony. And this is why I say, every time we see Manoah, he doesn't seem to be a very strong follower of God. Uh, and here his very first question is, he doesn't believe his wife, and he says, I want to I hear this for myself. Uh, he's almost like doubting Thomas. I'll believe that Jesus rose from the dead when I, you know, when I can stick my fingers in his hands and, and my hand in his side. Then I'll believe. This is what, kind of what we see in Manoah. Manoah's like, well, I, I know what you say, he says, but... Uh, I want, to, I want to hear this. I want to hear this testimony. Verse 9, And God hearkened unto the voice of Manoah, and sent the angel of God again unto to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said, Behold, the man that has, that, which has appeared unto me that, has, that came the other day, and Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to them, Are you the man that spoke to, to the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I have said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of the, 
anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong, strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Okay. <laughs> basically, basically, that's exactly what he has said. You know, and it says God listened to Manoah. He knew Manoah's weaknesses and lack of, lack of faith and lack of understanding. And I do think this is wonderful that God knows us in such a special way that he will give us what we need to walk in the faith that we need. And for some people, that means that he says they do. Other people, they have to see. And we see this all through the scriptures that the Bible tells us in four places, the just shall live by faith. That is God's ultimate goal, is for us to live by faith. He says it, we do it. Whether we read it ourselves, hear it directly from him, uh, listen to it from a message, whatever he, the ultimate and best is for us to live by faith. God will, however, do what it takes to get our attention. For Manoah, he sent the angel back to him so he could hear the words directly. Thomas, who we mentioned earlier, Jesus appeared to him and said, here I am, go ahead and touch me. I would note that when Thomas's case, it never says that Thomas touched him. It just says, when God showed himself, he fell to his, fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. He recognized him right off the bat. Uh, for somebody like Jonah, who runs the other direction from God, God brings them back and says, are you basically ready to do what I've told you to do? Uh, we see Jacob, who's a manipulator and a conniver and trying to make deals with God, ends up wrestling with God or Jesus. Okay? God will do what it takes to draw people to him and show them what he wants them to see. And ideally, he wants it to be by faith. He wants us to just trust him. But if he really wants something done, he'll make sure it gets done. He'll make sure that we handle this and do it his way. And this is something that's very special. God meets us where we are at, always. And that may mean he met Peter as Peter had denied Jesus three times. And he finally says, well, you know, nothing's the same. I'll, I'll never be forgiven, so I'm going back to being a fisherman. Even if he is alive, I don't, you know, I, I, can't, I can't be restored. I denied him. There's no way he's going to let me be one of his disciples, and that's when Jesus met Peter down at the, at the lake of Galilee and said the whole long statement of, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that, you know, that I love you. And he, Peter, and he said, feed my sheep. And Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know all things. And that sounds very strange in English because that's not what it is, says in Greek. Because in Greek, Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter goes, I love you like a brother. And that Jesus goes, do you, do you agape me? And he says, I love you like a brother. And then on the third time, Jesus comes down to Peter's level and says, Peter, do you really, truly love me like a brother? And that's when Peter didn't even answer. He just says, Lord, you know all things. And he broke down, but he was restored. God met him at his place. Okay. And God will do that for us. For somebody who's been walking with God for a long time, the tests are harder, and he expects us to be walking more by faith. For somebody who's a new believer, he's going to be more gentle with them and give them a lot more 
leeway and show them things and, and display things. For many people, God has shown up in dreams and visions, and sometimes he comes through the scriptures being taught by a teacher. He comes through the lessons that were taught. He will do what it takes to get people's attention, but he does it to meet them at their need, but he wants them to grow. And this is what he's doing for Manoah. He says, I'm going to meet you where you're at. You have to go, you have to see my angel. You can't believe your wife and her testimony. I'm going to, I'll give you the, I'll let you see the angel. And, and it's kind of funny because you would figure that Manoah would have spent a lot of time with her if, after he's made this prayer, God sent the angel that came to her, and yet he's not spending much time with her. And, and the angel shows up to her again. <laughs> uh, and she immediately recognizes the angel, and it says she made haste and ran to, to show her husband. And she says, the man that appeared to me the other day, he's here. <laughs> he, he came back, and... Manoah arose and went after him, and then he said, are you, I mean, look at this, are you the man that spoke unto the woman? The woman, not my wife, the, the, the woman. <laughs> you know, uh, I, would, I would pray, did you speak to my wife? You know, are, you, are you the one that spoke to my wife? Or a name or something? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just the woman, did you, was, did you, yeah, it seems, I don't know, maybe, and it could be very seriously, because she has been barren, and if it's been barren for any length of time, he may feel ashamed of her. Yeah. Okay, she has not borne him any children. Okay. It could be a very big, strong possibility. Uh, when we get to Samson's life, in, uh, he was born, and her, his father had two wives. One had children, one did not have children. Now, he loved Samson's mother, uh, Hannah, but in the other one, he was just married to and had lots of children. <laughs> but that woman made life miserable for Hannah, always teasing her about, you know, hey, I'm the one that's got all the children. What have, what have you given him? Uh, and we see this over and over. We see it in Jacob's life where he loved Rachel, and Rachel could not have any children. Uh, Rachel... I always mix up Rachel and Rebecca. Rachel. Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah, yeah. I always mix Rebecca and Leah, uh, uh, Rebecca and Rachel up. So, and she couldn't have children for a long time, up to the point where she actually got angry at Jacob and said, why haven't you given me any children? <laughs> you, know, uh, you, you read that story and you find out he loved Rachel, but Rachel seemed to not be a very godly woman. Into taking Leah, Leah first. So she might have been a little upset, all right. <laughs> I, I don't know all about that, but this was years later that she's yeah. accusing him of this. She's the one that steals the idols from her, yeah. from her, from her father, and yeah. uh, you know, she doesn't appear to be a very righteous woman. And interestingly enough, when they're buried, she is buried outside of Bethlehem, and Leah is buried in the tomb with with uh, Jacob. So I, I believe that he got, fell in love with her over the years, fell in love with her righteousness and her, and her kindness and her beauty, uh, her internal beauty more than the external beauty that he fell in love with in the first place. Rachel was the pretty one. Rachel was the pretty one, had the strong eyes. Many people believe they were t twins. Yeah. Uh, but, so, but something about her eyes, because the eyes are what the Bible talks about being, being different, 
delicate, uh, Leah had delicate or weak eyes, whatever that meant. She couldn't see too well. So, but we see many times where this anger, bitterness comes into somebody who cannot bear children. And even though many times the husbands love them, they love their wife, it's, there can be this place where you haven't borne me any children. And the most important thing to, to many of them was that you had children. Yeah, she's not very useful to him. Yeah, she's not useful to him at this point. So this is why he may be using this term, were you the one that appeared to the woman? Uh, and he said, I am. Doesn't say anything about him having other wives. Right? Doesn't say that he had any other wives. Uh, and I'm not going to go there. It could possibly be or couldn't be. I don't know. There's no place in this story that mentions any other wives for, for them to have to deal with. Uh, and then it says, uh, and the angel, and then he's in verse 12, and Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. How shall we order this child and what shall we do to him? <laughs> okay. my, my wife told us what we're supposed to do with him, but I want you to tell me what we're supposed to do with him. I get this feeling that he does not believe his wife for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know, maybe she was a liar. I don't have a clue what it was, you know. But he seems to not believe this testimony that she's given. And I'm not quite sure because he, or he's just wanting it confirmed by the angel. I'm not sure what's going on because this is a pretty big deal. If they're going to raise him as a Nazarite from birth, that means he's not going to cut his hair. They've got, they've got to watch him around dead things. They've got to watch everything he eats, especially when he's young and being, you know, coming, coming at first when children will eat, you know, anything. And, and so they're going to have to keep a close eye on him. So it could be that he's just not interested in, in raising a child this way, and he's hoping that she heard wrong. <laughs> well, maybe it's because she's been barren for so long. Yeah. I don't, it could be. I don't know. Who knows why he's doing this? And I love the angel's answer. <laughs> of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. <laughs> let her not eat anything that comes of the wine, nor touch it. Let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. And so basically it's, and I've told her what to do, just listen to her. <laughs> uh, and just let her do it, and, you, and you're to do what, she, what she's already told you. And I think God does this with us sometimes. He'll give us a message, and then when we start asking him what we're supposed to do, he goes, I've already told you. You already know what to do. And one of the rules of thumb that people have... One of the rules of thumb that people have been, have been taught is if you're not hearing God speak to you, re try to remember what the last thing he told you to do and go do what he's told you to do because he doesn't repeat himself until you do what he's told you to do. When we look at the story of Abraham, Abraham was told to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, leave his family behind, and go to a land where God showed him. And we've talked about this. He stopped at Haran, and he had his father and his nephew with him. Uh, and he stopped. And he stops there for two decades. And it doesn't say that God ever spoke to him during those 20 years. Now, I don't know if it's true that God did not speak to him, but he was not being obedient. And so I believe that God probably didn't have an intimate relationship with him. And that there might have been times where he was going, God, where, what are you? What, what are you? what am I supposed to do? And, you know, God's going to go, well, I told you what to do. Well, when you do that, we'll go, we'll go to the next step. And this is something that people have been taught over the years. If you're not hearing God's voice, 
Find out what the last thing he told you to do and make sure you're doing that. And it's a pretty good step. God tells you to be a missionary and you're not a missionary after 50 years, you're probably going to have a lot of empty time and, and, and quietness from God. If he's asked you to do something, go do it. You know, because it is a serious thing. And here that's basically the angel's telling him, hey, your wife's been told what to do, she told you, now go do it. Go do what it is you were told to do. And this is very important for us. When God speaks, we do. Why? Because he's Lord. <laughs> okay? He's Lord. When he says, we do. And he's not in the habit of repeating himself, as most masters with their servants weren't in the habit of repeating themselves to the servants. You said something to the servant, you expected it to get done. When I was managing, if I told people to do something, I expected it to get done. If it didn't, my question wasn't go do something. It was why didn't you do what you were told to do? Okay, it wasn't go do it unless it was in a, you know, something that had to be done and I was saying get it done and then it was going to be why, why didn't you do it? But here we see the same impression. Uh, she's already been told what to do. Uh, you know, I don't repeat myself. I'm not, not going to say the same thing twice. And, and so this is a chastisement from Manoah. And verse 15, And Manoah said unto the angel, I pray you, let us detain you until we have made ready a kid for you. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat of, the, of your bread. And if you will offer a burnt offering, you must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is your name? And when, that when we, they say, when your sayings come to pass, we may do you honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why ask you my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took the kid with a meat offering and offered it in, upon the rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. And it came to pass as a flame went up into, toward heaven that from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. All right. Now we've had many examples where we've seen the angel of the Lord and we have said that it is a picture of Jesus. Okay? This particular case, it is not Jesus. How do we know? Because he did not accept the offering. He said the offering must be made unto the Lord and he would not partake any of the offerings. Okay? When we see the angel of the Lord, he will accept the offering. When Abraham met Jesus before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he made an offering and the offering and, and bowed down and worshiped and the angel of the Lord received the, the, the worship. When other places where we see the angel of the Lord, it receives worship. When Gideon stands before the angel of the Lord, he, bowed, he falls to his, the ground and worships. And the angel doesn't say, get up, I'm a servant just like you. When John in heaven falls on his face before the angel of the Lord. He says, get up. I am a servant like you. The, angel, the angels will always say, get up. You're, I am not to be worshipped. Uh, Jesus will receive the worship because he is God. He is worthy of worship. And in this particular angel says, hey, if you're going to make an offering, it goes to God, not me. Okay? When they ask, what's your name? So we can celebrate you when... When your words come to truth, he goes, my name is not for you to know. I am the angel. I am the servant. You're to worship God. Give God the glory is what he's saying. All right? And Manoah, again, 
we're seeing Manoah do all the wrong things. Okay? He's not believing the word of God because it came from his wife. He's being told, just listen to what I told your wife already. He goes, okay, you want to make an offering? Good, but it's going to be made unto God, not me. And by the way, you're not going to know my name because I don't want to be worshipped. I don't want to get the glory. And this is what, when you serve God, we serve God not for glory, but that God gets the glory. God must always be lifted up. Jesus must always be lifted up. If a person is lifted up, then there's something wrong with that, with that person's relationship with God because they should not. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to be, oh, you, you did a wonderful job and all that. But if they're not saying, you know, if they're looking at it and saying, well, look what I've done, you've got a problem. When, when somebody prays for somebody and they get healed, it's not that person that heals them. It's the Holy Spirit through that person that, that is healing them. When there's a good message, it's not the pastor or the teacher that's given that message. It is the Holy Spirit working through the pastor. Now, those people are available, and you can say thank you to them and all, but they do not get the glory. And this is the problem oftentimes with healer, healing ministries and evangelists. You know, they forget that God is the one that does the work, and they start glorifying themselves and not God. And when you see that happening, there's a problem with that ministry, and it's going to fall flat on their face eventually because God's not going to let them get the glory. He, all, he must always be lifted up. Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So it's very important that he always is lifted up. You know, when we give out tracts and people get saved or get, give God, you know, God gets the glory. When we minister and we have a wonderful time in worship, it's God that gets, gets the glory. And if he's not getting the glory, we won't have very many wonderful times in worship. We won't have very many times, good times of teaching. Because only he is to be lifted up. And this is what the angel's saying. You know, hey, I don't want you to know my name. I don't want you to pray, praise me. Jesus, you know, God is the one that's praised. And you've got to think, 40 years they've been in captivity with the Philistines because of their disobedience to God. He may not even know how to worship God at this point because he could be so far away. And it is amazing who God uses to raise his people. You know, just think, you know, to raise the, the Son of God, Mary and Joseph were, t were picked. Now, apparently they were very righteous people, but how would you like to be raising the Son of God? You know, it had to be pretty nerve-wracking, you know, especially when you lose him in the temple at 12 years old. <laughs> you know, you're headed back and you've lost the Son of God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but, you know, I don't know that I would have wanted that responsibility myself. Uh, but God did, God used them. He's going to use Manoah and his wife to raise Samson. He used Jacob and, to raise his, his 12 sons. He's going to use Jesse to raise David. I mean, all through the scriptures, these people that we don't know much about are used to raise up godly children. And it's pretty amazing, and I think God wants to say to us, you know, the child is responsible for their decisions. And this is something I've said to many parents who are very depressed about their kids' decisions. The, the kids are responsible for their decisions. You did the best job you could under the circumstances. And God has this wonderful plan. He gives us kids when we're young and stupid and don't know what we're doing. We raise them with all kinds of mistakes, and then when we're older and wiser, they don't want to listen to us. 
Uh, then we get to try to do it right with our grandkids. <laughs> uh, but you know, we do the best that we can, especially if we're trying to honor God. We do the best that we can and, and make mistakes, and God knows that we're going to make mistakes. And he says, did you do the best job you could? Well, best job we were able to within the circumstances, probably. No, you're not the best job we could. But, the, but you know, we all have to deal with that at some point in our lifetime. God, I made mistakes, and look where my kids are. And the God says, the kids are made their own decisions. And our job is just to do the best we can. And then if we get saved later in life, we do the best we can to correct those aspects in their life and try to bring them in. But even if you raise your kids from, from cradle up, they can still go astray. Okay? I've had, had one prodigal and one who's not really following God, so I know that that can be true. And those kids went to the church from the time they were born straight until the time they left home. God, you can do everything right and still have a child not follow your way. Conversely, you can do everything wrong and still have the child come, come to God if that's what happens. And, uh, and that was how my life started out as a Christian. I grew up in a home before 12 years old where nobody was a Christian. And I kept going to church. And that meant I got up on my own to go to church because nobody was going to get up to get me to go to church because they didn't care. And then I got saved at 10 and have been following God. So it can happen. It can happen either way. And we as parents just do the best job we can. Manoa and his wife are going to do the best job they can. And there's going to be times when we're going to see them heartbroken for his decisions because he is not going to be the best son, uh, even though he's being raised as a special, set-aside, holy individual. And the prophecy was that he was going to be a Nazarite until the day of his death. And we're going to see he breaks every Nazarite vow, so he probably technically wasn't a Nazarite to his day that he died because of his broken vows. But that was his choice, not, not God's prophecy to him. Let's see. All right, verse 19. So Manoah took a kid of the meat offering and offered it upon a rock on the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. And it came to pass when the flame went up into heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on, and they fell on their faces to the ground. <laughs> they had finally realized that they are dealing with an angel, not just a prophet. Okay? And up to this point, he has been treating them as if they're dealing with a prophet. They're, they're not treating him as an angel. They're treating him as a prophet who's come and said, I'm going to, you're going to have this. Okay, good. A prophet from God has come and talked to us, and we're going to have a child. And then they offer this offering. And I'm not sure what he thought he was doing with this offering uh, before that. But I, I think this is so interesting. It says, as the fire burned and the smoke rose up, that the angel ascended on the flame, on the, on the smoke. Oh, man, what a picture that must have been. You know, one moment he's there, and the next moment he's going up into the sky on the, in the, on the smoke. And at that point, they fall on their faces and go, uh, something special has been going on here. We haven't been entertaining a prophet. We haven't been entertaining a man. Don't know who this is, but uh, this is somebody from God. This is not just a man. And all of a sudden, a realization comes upon them. You meet somebody who's a very good, sound Christian, and you go, that's, I know, that person knows God. Yeah, there are people that tell me they, they're a Christian and they know God. I'm going, okay, if you say so. 
There's other people, they don't even have to tell me they know God. And I know that they know God. And here, they met somebody who knows God, who's in the, in the presence of God, and they don't even recognize it. Maybe it's because they've been in captivity it could be that they are so far into sin that they don't know they have no spiritual discernment. And this could be very true. That because when you're not walking with God, you also have no spiritual discernment. You can't tell when you're in the presence of somebody who is spiritually inclined or not inclined. And I've shared this so many times. I've gone on to so many times where I go, God, I just need to meet some Christians. And before long, there's Christians in my path. Uh, many of my manager uh, meetings that I would go to and I'm going God I just need uh, none of the managers in my group were, were Christians one of them said he was but he wasn't <laughs> from everything I could tell I go God I just need to hang out with some Christians I need some Christians and so within minutes there'd be a group of us Christians talking about God and the Bible and, and, and our testimonies and everything and it was wonderful and you just knew here's Christians the spirit will identify other Christians to you and these guys are spiritually pretty dead. The, the lady with no name who bears Samson as a, as a child, and she never does, we're never told her name. Well, he did say his wife now. Yeah, yeah it's, it's his wife now. His wife now, she's going to have a baby, yes. Verse 21. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. I love this attitude. People get a message from an angel. And so often in the Bible, this is Manoah's attitude is exactly what they'll say. We're going to die. We've, we've seen the angel of God. We're going to die. Uh, uh, why did the angel bother giving you an assignment if you're going to die because you saw the angel? Uh, but this is the refrain that keeps going over and over and over again. And why they apply it to an angel, I don't know, because it is, it is said that if you see the face of God, you will, that you would die. Uh, but they, it appears that they keep applying this to angels, <laughs> that the angels keep getting the same, same thought process. And his attitude is, you know, he, told, he says it to his wife, uh, we've seen God, we're going to die. And his wife, she's, she's the one that's righteous again, as close to righteous as it is. As but his wife said unto them, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received the burnt offering and the meat offering at our hands. Neither would he be able to show us all these things, nor would he at this time have told us of such things. Okay? She, she's pretty smart. Manoah, we're going to die. We saw God. And she's like, uh, come on, husband. We gave him an offering. They took the offering. And he told us we're going to have a child and we're going to raise this child. Why are you going to say that we're going to die? But, you know, this is something that really gets to me at times because oftentimes when God gives somebody a job they will pull back from that from the job that they've been given Peter on the rooftop God lets down a great big sheet with animals in because he's hungry and says take kill and eat now this didn't have cows and and sheep and goats it had and everything that you weren't supposed to eat and Peter goes no I can't eat I've never eaten anything unclean and that's when God says, don't call unclean what I, have, what I have said is clean. He goes, now you're going to have this visitor and you're going to go to Cornelius' house and you're going to give the, the gospel message to him. We see Jonah. Jonah going, God said, uh, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach, preach the gospel. And Jonah says, absolutely not. I'm going the other way. And God brings him back. 
And even then, after he's been chastised and put in the belly of the great fish for three days and comes out all bleached, and he spit, spit up on the, on the ground and says, okay, you know, go preach. He preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh repents, and he goes, sits up on the mountainside waiting for God to destroy, destroy Nineveh. And I can guarantee his message wasn't very good when he went through Nineveh. It was probably, it was probably repent, you're going, to be de- you're going to be destroyed. Repent, you're going to be destroyed. <laughs> you know, the repent probably was very quiet. And uh, you're going to be destroyed was very loud because Nineveh was the enemy of the Jews and he wanted Nineveh destroyed. Okay? And remember when he stands up on the mountain and God's, God meets him and he goes, you know, and his accusation, I knew you'd forgive them if they repented because I knew, who, I knew your heart. He knew all along that he said that God would repent, would deliver them if they repented, and he probably did, which is why he ran the other direction, because he wanted them destroyed. But so often we see this idea of God giving somebody a call and them trying to do anything but that call. I've heard many people testimony, uh, testimonies, well, God called me to be a pastor when I was, you know, 19, 20, and I did everything but, and I was never happy. The one thing that's going to be very true is if you do not follow what God has told you to do, you will never be happy. Whatever that might be, whatever it might be, and I, and I don't know what that means for most people. I know that I was called to be a pastor. Now, God had to work on me to make me ready to be a pastor, but I knew that I was called to be a pastor. When, what has God told you to do? Whatever it is, go do it. You know, I love it when people just serve because sometimes that's a great calling just to serve. Do the things that, for the church that, that need to be done. But you know, we need to be always looking, what is it that God is asking us to do and go do it? Not try to make it hard to get it done. Peter, Peter is going to be up on the rooftop, but before that he runs away after he denies Jesus and has to be called by Jesus. You know, all these different things that we see where people have to be pursued by God. And God will keep pursuing us. He does not let us off the hook when we don't listen to him. He keeps pursuing until we answer the call. If you will keep doing, I mean, if you will not follow him, he can take you home. And this is something, if you're going to totally mess up your testimony to God and will not repent, he will take you home. This is true, but you know, he also is going to make, your life is going to be miserable if you're not, if you're not going to bend your knee. Yeah. He's not going to force you to bend your knee, but he's going to make it very difficult not to. And you can live a very miserable life not trying to bend your knee. Paul, before he became a Christian, was riding on the road to Damascus to, just, you know, to go arrest Christians. Yeah. And God knocked him off his, off his horse and blinded him. Okay? Technically, he could have said, no, I'm not going to follow you. Uh, nobody in their right mind would have said no after they'd been knocked off their horse, blinded, and spoke to in an audible voice. Uh, but Paul could have stayed in his wrong mind and said, no, I'm not going to serve you, and stayed blind uh, until he decided to serve God. But, you know, most of the time, God doesn't go through the extremes that he did with Saul. Most of the times, he does not go through the extremes that he did with Jonah. Okay. Those are pretty extreme cases. He wanted them to do something, and he was basically going to make them do something. Now, granted, he didn't absolutely destroy their will. They could have, Jonas prayed in the belly of the fish, you know, okay, God, I repent, I give up. <laughs> and God 
kicked him out. Saul, who are you, Lord? <laughs> it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it? You know? And then he's going, okay, what, what do you want me to do? And he, he goes and does what he's told. And usually, for most of us, we don't have to go through the extremes of Jonah and, and Saul, uh, or later Paul. But uh, God will say, I'm going to keep making life miserable. You're going to have a miserable life until you step and do, for, do what you want. Somebody who goes into a backslidden state with God, you know, never happy going back into the world that they, they left behind because they know that they don't belong there. The Holy Spirit is keeping them convicted that they're not where they're supposed to be. And they spend years, decades, whatever it might be, miserable. Until they finally just say, God, I give up. And God is waiting for that, I give up, to restore us and bring us back. And so we look at this one. The wife is the one that goes, you know, hey, you know, why would God show us all these things? Verse 24, and the woman bore a son, and they called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zoar and Ishtoal. In other words, God started ministering upon Samson. And it doesn't really tell us what it meant that he moved on him. Did he allow him to do strong things before, before the first things? Did he say the right things? When God moves on us, it can be very interesting. You know, how many times has God given us something to say and you said it, it doesn't make any sense, and the person goes, wow, that's just what I needed to hear, or how did you know that? Uh, we do something and we just, we just happen to come, right, come across the right place with the right person that needs to hear the gospel. Uh, and I had a story recently, I guess about two years ago now, where you know, I just happened to go with Lynn to the doctors, even though, even though I really didn't want to, and I just happened to be at the place where the person who needed help was when I stepped outside and they needed help and gave them the help and talked to them about God and encouraged them. You know, just all of it just happened to be the spirit moving, the spirit moving, putting me in the right place to do the right thing. And you know, so often if we just let the spirit move, things will happen. And Samson is going to find himself at just the right place at the right time to, be a, to move for God and deliver Israel. And we're going to find out that Samson is not a very righteous judge. Uh, I don't even know if he counted himself as a judge for most of his life. And that he's going to be one who delivers Israel from, from the Philistines. And we're going to see that as we go on. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help us to listen to your word, guide and lead us in all that we do. Help us to follow you, to be moved by the Holy Spirit, and to always give you the, the praise and honor. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this that doesn't know you, will they acknowledge that they're a sinner and they are destined for hell and need you to be their Savior? And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.